Portrait of a Fangirl is a web series and podcast created by Temple of Geek. At the core of the project is the importance of telling the stories of women who have found inspiration, growth, and power through fandom. My name is Jenna Wren, and I'm the host of Portrait of a Fangirl podcast. I'm here today with Sandra Botero, creator of Heroic Couture. How are you, Sandra? I am doing very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. Even better that I get to talk to you today. Oh, very sweet. Thank you. (laughs) Could you introduce yourself to our audience and just tell a little bit about yourself? I'm Sandra Botero. I am a Hispanic businesswoman. I own my own fashion business. I like to um, consider myself a geek and the fashion business is geek oriented. We call it elevating your fandom. So, you know, there's a lot out there that, you know, deal with fandom, but mine is slightly different. I try to reach all different ages, all different sizes. I try to be inclusive of all of that. Your company, Heroic Couture, did you have an experience or any background in fashion before you started getting involved with this or this idea? Believe it or not, when I was in high school, I really, really wanted to be a fashion designer. And I had applied to a couple of schools that had fashion design with, you know, my my portfolio and whatnot. But unfortunately, my parents did not approve. And they told me that they would not pay for college for me if that was what I was going to do. Being a child of an immigrant and not knowing how things work here in the United States, I didn't know there was such a thing as financial aid. I didn't actually go through with it, but I still always had a love for it, was always kind of a fashionista. You know, I started designing things just for myself and I kept thinking, I need to learn how to sew. (laughs) So I did learn how to sew. I was basically self-taught. My mother is a wonderful sewist, but she has no patience for teaching. It just kind of escalated from there. So I guess you could say later in life, I became a fashion designer and I started taking classes here and there and even worked with a a woman who was a professor for fashion design. And she, I guess you could say we did like weekend classes at her house every weekend for two years. And that's how you learned. And, you know, this was all while I was even just starting Heroic Couture because I wanted it to be really well-made, really high-end designs. And in the beginning, I was making all the designs. I was, you know, I was sewing all the clothing. You said you taught yourself to sew, basically. Did you have a background in drawing then? Again, self-taught, not really, you know, any formal training or anything like that. You know, I took a couple classes in college, a couple classes here and there, but mostly just self-taught. But I I would not even say that, you know, as far as like doing illustration, I focus mostly on design of fabrics and the design of clothing. But if you were to ask me to do a portrait of somebody, I could not do that. Right. It's more on the design aspect. You wound up not pursuing fashion in college. What did you pursue? Believe it or not, um, it was several things because since I could not, you know, do fashion design, it was really hard for me to find something that I felt I fit into. I got my undergraduate degree in political science 
And then I went to Spain to, um, to get my master's in art history. However, I didn't actually finish my master's. I got a certificate. I wasn't able to complete it because my visa expired and it wouldn't get renewed. Oh, no. I know. And then I came back. And after a couple of years, I had my daughter. And it just seemed that the and this sounds so cliche and I hate it, but it really is. It was true for me. I became a teacher because it was the best type of job for being a single mom. I, I taught Spanish and I also taught art. I did that all the way up. I, I just retired from teaching in November. So I've been teaching for 25 years. Oh my goodness. Well, congratulations on retiring. Thank you. So now I get to focus on heroic couture full time, whereas before I was doing it kind of part time. This is the next step in my life where I get to start a new chapter or maybe even a new book. You mentioned that you were a single mother. How did you manage raising your child, teaching and trying to build this business at the same time? When I started building the business, my daughter was a teenager. It was it was a little bit easier. Also, when I had started doing that, I was just doing mostly just items here and there, you know, custom items. I wasn't really doing anything full time, so I wasn't I wasn't pursuing really hard and fast because I knew I would not really have the time. Ironically, it was after I got married and my husband really, really encouraged me to do this. He saw that I had a passion for it and he's extremely supportive and he wanted me to do what I wanted to do. He said, I know you love this, do it, pursue it. And I was like, oh, I'm too old. It's too late. And he's like, no, he's like, you need to do this now. It's now or never. You know, I started thinking about it and it just, it, it just kind of blossomed on its own. I mean, I did it more also because he did encourage me, which was wonderful because, you know, I didn't get that encouragement from my own parents. So it was nice to get it from my husband, just getting encouragement from other people who liked my designs and who wanted items really kind of propelled me forward. And I thought, wow, there, there is kind of a market for this. I didn't think there was totally, you know, I was just mostly doing it for myself and maybe a couple other friends more and more, I noticed that there was a market for women who aren't necessarily juniors, who don't necessarily wear short skirts or body con dresses or cosplay. Just wanted to be a little bit more sophisticated, but still show their fandom. I'm really happy to hear that you were able to find that inspiration to keep going. Yes. What do you think of when you hear the term fangirl? I think of myself <laughs> because I, I think it sounds kind of self-proclamating, but I think I'm one of the OG fangirls. I am not embarrassed to tell you I'm 55 years old. I'm a huge Wonder Woman fan. I know this is radio podcast, but you can probably see a little bit of my collection in the back. I mean, my collection is huge because I've been collecting since I was nine years old. And because I was a super huge fan of Wonder Woman. And actually, you know, even the Bionic Woman, Charlie's Angels, because in the 70s, those were my role models. Those were, you know, strong women, intelligent women, women who, you know, were independent, but also beautiful and could kick ass. That's what I want. I want to be like that. 
So those were always my role models, but especially Wonder Woman. You know, I started reading comic books. And and again, in the 70s and even 80s, that was not something a girl did. I got made fun of. I ended up just not telling people about it. It's kind of funny because, you know, I still keep in touch with some of my friends from high school and middle school. And they're like, we had no idea you were so into Wonder Woman and that you're like this. And I was like, well, yeah, because people made fun of me. I didn't tell people. Right. We tend to censor ourselves. I've noticed that. I noticed that's a trend basically in the people I've been talking to where everyone seems to kind of say the same thing that I hid this part of me away. I was afraid to express this part of me to the people around me. And look what happens when you do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of funny because thanks to Wonder Woman, that is how I kind of got into art and fashion. I started doing research on Wonder Woman and realized she was based on the goddess Diana slash Artemis. And then I started learning more about mythology. And when you start learning about mythology, you also start learning about the art that goes with the mythology. And that went directly into my interest in art history. That is very interesting. I actually um, studied American history and I used Wonder Woman for lectures I would give to undergraduates about women during World War II because Wonder Woman was such a such an iconic feminist model. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. What was the first thing about Wonder Woman that you got into that drew you to her? I would just have to say that she was so independent, really, that she could just take care of herself, take care of herself in in every way, protect herself, have a job, still be able to protect other people, be able to maintain relationships, whether it was, you know, Steve Trevor or her friends or work. I thought that was really admirable that she was able to just not rely on anybody. And I guess that had to go back to, you know, again, feeling like I had to rely on my parents to go to school and things like that. I was definitely one of those kids who couldn't wait to go to college so I could try to be independent. So yeah, I guess I would have to say that's what it is. It's, it's her independence. What was the first medium you were introduced to as far as Wonder Woman goes? Was it comics? Was it art? It was TV, television, Linda Carter. Linda Carter was my Wonder Woman. As soon as I started watching that, I was like, okay, I want to read the comic books. Of course, there was no movie until more recently. But yeah, it went directly to comic books. And then when Wonder Woman left TV, I just kept going with the comic books. You stayed on stayed on track there and... And not just Wonder Woman, I started reading about others, but I I did tend to focus more on women. But I did read about Hawk Girl and Vixen and mostly DC Comics. I was more of a DC Comics gal than, than Marvel. Even Justice League, when they would have Black Canary in the Justice League and all of that. Being a fangirl for all this time, in your experience, what would you say are some of the biggest differences in fandom and geek culture now than back when you were younger? I would say the biggest thing is that it's more prolific. And it's more acceptable. People now don't necessarily look at you strangely or make fun of you. It's just like, oh, okay, that's cool. That type of thing. And there's a lot more out there too. 
than there was when I was younger, you know, especially for women too. There's a lot more female superheroes, antiheroes, even the villains. The villains are fun too. There's just a lot more out there. It was always just basically Wonder Woman, Batgirl, and Catwoman. That was basically it. But there's a lot more out there. And we don't have to have just one role model or one person or one character that that we like to follow. I remember when the Wonder Woman, the newer movie first came out and I took my little sister, she was like seven years old maybe. And I remember just thinking how amazing it was to take her to experience this absolute icon, feminist superhero that you haven't seen before on TV and or on the movies. And I totally can relate to how you found inspiration and power through her. Absolutely. In the first Wonder Woman movie, probably my favorite parts were when she was on Themyscira with the other Amazons. To me, that was my favorite part. I mean, I wish they would do a movie of just the Amazons with Wonder Woman. I think that would be great because it was just great, again, to see women empowerment, women supporting women. There wasn't jealousy. There wasn't rivalry. To me, that was just great. I actually got a little teary-eyed. I was like, oh my gosh, it's all coming to life now after 40 years. It's a very big production and accumulation of everything that you loved. I can totally see why you would feel that way. The part that really stopped me, I went into the movie being like, oh yeah, I like Wonder Woman and everything. I didn't know much, but the part that really got me was when she was on the battlefield and she she just stood up. No, that was great too. And that's like the eponymous moment. But for me, which is weird, I know, it was just being on Themyscira, hanging out, or even just all of them fighting all the, the Germans that came up. That seems to be a lot of people's favorite scene when she just jumps out in no man's land. Can you tell us how you came up with the idea of Heroic Couture? Well, my husband came up with a name, believe it or not. Yeah, he came up with a brilliant name. I kept thinking, what am I going to call it? And he's like, let me help you think about it. And then he just came back with the name. And I was like, I love that. That is great. That is the name. And the way the business actually really, really started going was obviously I married my husband later in life. I was 45 when I got married. So, you know, it was a little bit later. He is a comic book artist. He's actually a colorist. And I was going to comic conventions with him. He would be invited to these conventions and he would be in Artist Alley. And again, me being the way I am, I did not want to wear t-shirts. I didn't want to wear, you know, bodycon dresses or anything that was more junior I wanted to wear something a little bit more elevated. That kind of matched my personality more. I started making my own clothing using the fabrics from Joanne's Fabrics or other fabric stores that were, you know, already out there. Women started stopping me, telling me how they liked my outfit and where did I get it? And when I would tell them I made it, then I started getting a lot of asks to make them these items, you know, start doing it specifically for them. So that's, that's really how it got started. And then it just kind of grew from there. Then I started designing my own fabrics instead of using the ones that were already out there. But my fabrics aren't licensed. So I don't put anything on there directly. I put basically items that allude to the different superheroes. So if you know your superheroes really well, you will see 
the items, you'll see the specialty drawings or what have you in the designs and you'll get it. I usually call them fashion Easter eggs. You know it, you see it. If you don't know it, it's okay. Still looks nice. Do you design any other products other than clothing? I do. I also do shoes. I do purses, backpacks, and I recently did a utility belt for the first time. What was it like getting into these different mediums that aren't just clothing? Oh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I love purses. So for me, that was great. And I actually use all my purses that I've designed. That was fun doing the belt. I love utility belts. And when I say utility belts, I don't mean like what some Somebody's wearing out in a construction site. It's a belt with little pouches, but they're more like purses, little purses hanging off the belts. It's a little, it's almost one of those you have to see it to understand it. But that was just so fun to do. And the shoes too. It's just, I love doing accessories. Again, accessories are another way to show your fandom or what you like. And you can wear something very simple and plain as far as your clothes go. But if your accessories are elevated, then it brings your whole look up. One of your designs that I had seen is your Star Wars inspired purse. And I believe it's like the Mandalorian kind of with the bright tiles. I love that because like you said, it shows the fandom if you know what you're looking for. And if not, it's a gorgeous purse regardless. Thank you. Yeah, I like that one. I was I was thinking of a friend of mine who is not into fandom, but she always wants to have something that I've made. And she's Mexican. So I thought, this is perfect. I'm going to design this thinking of her. And she did actually get the purse. And she's like, ah, Star Wars is fine, but I just love the colors and this and that. And I was like, well, I designed it with you in mind. So, Did you find it difficult to learn how to design accessories as compared to clothing? Was it a learning curve? It is a little bit different. You know, I thought, oh, it's just as simple as using the fabric or whatever, but it's the manufacturing of those items is much more extensive. And obviously it's not something I do or can do because you do need specific mechanics to do that. You know, different types of machines, even sewing machines that are way advanced to do things like that. There was a big learning curve doing the measurements exactly finding the right type of pleather, because I don't use leather, I just use pleather, all different things like that. So yeah, it was definitely much more intense than doing clothing, but I still loved it. It was it was a great learning experience and I definitely want to do more. When you said you would attend conventions with your husband and you would get this feedback from other women about your clothing, would you do commissions or was that kind of what prompted you to do more mass production? In the beginning, I was doing mostly commissions. And then I started doing a few one-offs here and there. For example, I had this one shirt that I made that had stormtroopers on it with flowers. I just made three of them in three different sizes. I figured, well, if somebody likes it and it's not in their size, I will just make it for them. I know nothing about fashion. So to me, this is very enlightening. It's quite a process. I've learned a lot. Would you bring your products to conventions? I did. I did do that. And I hope to do that again soon. But um, it's been a crazy 
couple of years, you know, even after COVID and everything, but I have a license with a company right now. They are getting ready to film their show. So I've been very involved in that because the contestants are going to be wearing the clothing that I designed along with the accessories. So I'm going to be part of that, making sure everybody is dressed right, making sure that the clothing fits them correctly. When you had previously sold at conventions, what sort of response did you get from female customers? I always got very, very good response. I was always surprised (laughs) at what a good response I got. I was like, wow, people really get what I'm doing. They get it. There is a niche for this. Some of the customers, I've had all different types of customers, even though when I design, I think of myself, which I know that sounds kind of odd. I don't want to say I'm my own muse. I want to design something I would wear. When people come up to me and they say that they're at the convention and they like this or that, or the best thing is when they get excited because they know what it is. They see what the fabric is and they find that fashion Easter egg in the pattern and they get excited about it. I do think selling in person is actually more fun, at least for me, because people will ask me, how did you think of this fabric? What's the story behind this? So it's a little bit more personal. I mean, if I could go to conventions all the time, I would to do this. But unfortunately, it's very costly to do that. Right. Sometimes it's not practical to actually attend the conventions or carry your products. Being a vendor is very expensive at a convention. So what type of fangirls would you say Heroic Couture is targeted towards? I would say it's kind of every fangirl. I have had customers, believe it or not, as young as eight years old, as up there as 78. I would say it's really mostly the fangirl who wants to get dressed up and who doesn't want to scream fandom in your face. I think that is such a brilliant idea because sometimes you find that these designs are marketed towards juniors or towards people who prefer just to wear t-shirts, but not everybody is looking for something like that. And honestly, most juniors clothing also do not encompass plus sizes. And it's a shame. I'm, I'm a plus size girl or woman. Again, you know, couldn't find things in my size. So made it myself, changed it up. Many times in the beginning, what I even did was I kind of upcycled t-shirts and things like that, made them into skirts, made them into dresses to just give it a different look. And so that it would fit my particular body and not be so junior looking either. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. And with any of that, it's just not me. I was designing for what I would wear and realizing there are other people out there like myself. And it's interesting to also find that there are a lot of women my age who went through the same thing, who are very big fans, but just didn't didn't show it when they were younger. And now that they're older, they want to show it. But same idea. They want to wear something a little bit more sophisticated. Encompassing the plus size is something that's very important to me as well. I am also a plus size girl. And I think it is very hard if you're looking for something that you want to represent your fandom or to show off that side of you. Not many companies, not many designers will target towards that demographic. I think that it's really interesting to hear how you came about this and how you you created the product that was needed. Right. It's for every it's for everyone. I don't necessarily think that being a fangirl always is a gendered thing. So I think that that is very interesting. 
So I think that's going to wrap us up for today. Thank you, Sandra, so much for talking with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was wonderful talking with you as well. This is going to wrap up this episode of the Portrait of a Fangirl podcast. We want to thank everyone who tuned in today. This is going to wrap up this episode of the Portrait of a Fangirl podcast. We want to thank everyone who tuned in today. If you have any questions or comments, hit us up on Instagram and Facebook using the handle at Portrait of a Fangirl. You can also find us across social media on YouTube as Temple of Geek. If you'd like to check out any other episodes or shows, please visit Temple